0: Zero tolerance. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Monday, August 9th, 2021 is zero tolerance. I tried not to use the word zero tolerance because it makes you look bad when all of a sudden things happen that you have zero tolerance for and you can't do anything about it or you don't do enough about it so that it happens again. You can say, people say, I have zero tolerance towards something. That's like how hyperbole. I have zero tolerance for that type of behavior. Your parents would say that to you, or your teacher, zero tolerance. When you are doing a statement and you put zero tolerance, you're doing that because that's what you're supposed to have, not what you do have. When you open up a ballpark to 25,000 people or what, 30,000 or 5,000, depending on the team that you're the president of, it's hard to say you have zero tolerance of anything because As a consequentialist, I would say if something happens, then clearly you had tolerance for it because you didn't do something about it. And now you're going to tell me that's terrible, David. You can't stop things from happening. You can't control what people say or what people do. I'm not so sure. We're talking about what happened in Colorado last night. Colorado MLB is mortified right now because Colorado is where they moved the all-star game to from Atlanta with all the voting reform situations going on in Georgia that are all over the country, actually. And in Denver last night, the Marlins were playing. The Marlins were losing. And in the ninth inning, Lewis Brinson, an African-American player who has been a disappointing player on the field, but an exemplary person off the field. He was acquired from the Brewers for Christian Yelich back in the couple of years ago. I didn't do that deal. Lewis Brinson, is at the plate, and all of a sudden the N-word is said over and over again toward him. And the question is, what do you do? If I'm the president of the Rockies, I'm acting immediately and quickly once it is found out, once I've been notified. The first thing I'm doing is crafting a statement. It took the Rockies two and a half hours to do a statement. That's unacceptable. Two and a half hours, game ends at 10 o'clock local time. That's 12:30. Half the people are home. I get an incident report after every game from the head of stadium operations. Here's what happened. Here's the fights. Here's the number of hot dogs eaten. Here's the number of shirts bought, number of beers sold, number of people ejected, number of everything. Where people sat, when they sat, when they came in. It's a full report that you get at the end of every game. I hope every team does that, though. Of course, I have no proof. I only know what I asked for when I was running a team. And it comes before two and a half hours. So the Rockies released a statement that was interesting. The Rockies are disgusted at the racial slur by a fan directed at the Marlins' Lewis Brinson during the ninth inning of Sunday's game. Although the subject was not identified prior to the end of the game, the Rockies are still investigating this incident. The Rockies have zero tolerance for any form of racism or discrimination and any fan using derogatory language of any kind will be ejected and banned from Coors Field. You missed an opportunity here, Colorado. The second part of your statement is what everybody puts in their statement when it comes to hate and racism or swearing. Wait a minute, those aren't the same thing. Abusive language, that's not the same thing. We're talking about a racial slur here that in this day and age today, no matter what part of the country you're in. If you are not treating that word differently, then you're not doing it right. So the Rockies released this statement and the question people have for me, and it's a great question, what can they do? What are they doing? And what can MLB do? So the first thing MLB does is they're going to open an investigation alongside the Rockies. The investigation goes like this. They know exactly from Bally's, who did the game, where the microphone picked up this word. They know exactly where the microphones are in the ballpark. We had microphones below the press box. We had microphones on each by each dugout. We had microphones in the outfield near the two bullpens. You have microphones down the line. You can identify which microphone is picking up what, where, and you can look around because everybody's on camera. It's not just the TV cameras that are used to look at people because we have those feeds as well. We have internal security cameras. We really use them for lawsuits when we're being sued for foul ball injuries or other such things. But you can also use them to identify fans. You may recall there was a documentary where somebody got identified because they were at a ball game. So that is very common. So the first thing we're doing is looking at the feed. We're looking at the Bally's feed, then we're looking at the security cameras, we're looking at the Bally's cameras, and we're trying to speak to and will speak to immediately every single usher and security person in that area. We also look to see who is sitting in that area in terms of season ticket holders. We're the season ticket holders at the game. We can reach them. We know which season ticket holders are in which seats. And we know whether or not those season ticket holders use those seats on that particular day. That's the beautiful thing about having no paper tickets anymore. So we have the ability very quickly to zero in on different areas, to speak to the people assigned who work for us, who are assigned to that area to as ushers and as security. Because what I'm not buying is that nobody heard anything. The Marlins were very quick with their, they call him the spokesman, he's really the hatchet man for Jeter, who he said, neither Lewis nor any Marlins on the field or in the dugout heard what was shouted. We brought the matter to the attention of the Rockies. How the matter is being handled, I would have to defer to them. Again, I'm not saying anything about the Marlins because you all think that I am against them which I'm not, but that statement is horse hockey, right? It's, it's horrific. Who would approve that type of statement? How the matter's being handled, I would have to defer to them? No, my job is to, for, to secure my players and put them in a position, whether they're working at home or on the road, to be in a stadium, to be in a hotel, to be in a restaurant, to be on a bus where they are safe in their workplace. We have immediately spoken to Major League Baseball, and we will not stop until the Rockies and MLB identify who this fan was, and this fan is either prosecuted, which is unlikely, or banned from all MLB stadiums forever for life. Don't defer to other people. That's the problem in our world. We're so happy to defer to other people. He'll handle it. Someone else will take care of it. No. You got to take care of things yourself, and I'm not talking about pugilism. I'm talking about you want to handle something, you make sure that you're pulling the strings. You make sure that you can be in charge. And as a road team, you can still work with the home team to make sure you can work with your own TV network. You can work with the network of the home team. You can identify the area, then the person. It doesn't matter. Like the Rockies said, that the person left, we couldn't get to him in time. Makes no sense. Tony Clark had to enter the conversation, of course. He said "It's a painful reality that progress continues to be elusive in a world where ignorance and bigotry remain all too commonplace. While many are truly <clears throat> committed, while many are truly committed to respect and equality for all, the abhorrent racial animus displayed today in one of our ballparks highlights that there is still much work to be done. Tony, call out the Rockies. It's okay. The players who play for the Rockies won't be upset that you're singling them out. You're not going to cause division in your union. Everyone is so worried about their job, so worried about what they're going to say because they think they're going to be canceled or fired. Call things out for what they are. Be specific. The Rockies should be ashamed of themselves for the way they've handled it so far. And they've got some catching up to do. And rest assured, they will catch up because the pressure right now on baseball is so significant. Because if you ask Commissioner Rob Manford, the one thing that he does not want, he does not want racism. He's trying to attract African Americans, people of color, to the game. They need that. They need it for demographics. They need it for money. They need it for attendance. They need it in ownership it's such a sad moment. However, I immediately went into president's mode. And I want to just address that for a second when I found out about this. You know, I've spoken to you about being robotic and how I have a job to do. And my job was president of the team. And and the best part of my day is the day when the last person leaves the the home game. Because I'm extremely in tune and attuned to what's going on during the course of a game because I have to be. One of the things that I thought about every one of the thousands of games that I was a part of is I would play out different scenarios in my mind, whether it was active shooters, whether it was muggings, whether it was child abuse, whether it was people getting hit in the head with a foul ball, whether it was racism, whatever the case was. I was always playing out the different scenarios in my head. And I'd like to believe that by playing them out over and over again, you're in a position to respond both quickly, correctly, and with authority. You know that on the internet, there's going to now be people, there's a whole guy, I think, who has a uh, a whole Twitter account where he reads lips of people. And there's people who are conspiracy theorists saying that the guy was calling for the mascot whose name is Dinger. The word was Dinger, not the N-word. There's people saying that how could you not know who it was? How could the umpire not hear it or the catcher or the person on deck or anybody in the dugout? How can the Marlins be right that no one heard it? If no one heard it, it must not have been said. But what they weren't realizing is that in a huge ballpark, you are picking up sounds from everywhere. Is it possible? Maybe. But that's my job, to find out exactly what happened and get it right and to do it now, even if you don't get to sleep. I had the advantage in that because there's too much at stake. Now, let me get to the money side and tell you a callous truth. You know my view of racism, sexism, misogyny, et cetera. You know my view. It ought to be everybody's view, but do what you want, but just don't do it near me. And don't do it at all. But my first thought is that I have a job to get people to come to Rockies games. And can you imagine a family of color or not? A white family who just isn't racist. Why would they want to bring their kids and put them into an atmosphere where they could be exposed to that? There is a very bottom line business problem that teams have when there are behavior problems. Do you remember when there are fights going on and there were fights in the in the uh, in the Phillies or at Giant Stadium or at the Garden and fans were like, I don't want to be there. It's too dangerous or at the Garden in the blue seats when everyone was getting high and there was a huge cloud of smoke around and families would say, I'm not going to sit in the blue seats. That's all I can afford, but I'm not going to go because I don't want my kids to get high by association. If you want your stadium to be an inclusive stadium where people want to come, which you need to have happen, you have got to make it very clear, not that you have zero tolerance. That's not the word. What are you doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? And what are you doing to identify the person who did it today? That's what I want to hear from MLB, from the Players Association, from the Marlins, from the Rockies, not these statements that are in their zip drive that they just copy and paste. We're on record all the time here at Nothing Personal. We've done, what number is this? 427 shows, not counting mailbags or sit downs. So we have a past. You can go back on the feed and listen to things that I've said and you can come up if you so desire with inconsistencies they're going to happen where I'll think about something more and I'll have an evolved opinion about something that's allowed. But what you shouldn't tolerate is lying. You shouldn't tolerate me with this platform and this microphone making up stories, which I've never done. Never say never. You can't tolerate and shouldn't tolerate me wasting your 45 minutes because if you did, you wouldn't come back. And you should tolerate, however, if I want to walk back something I've said before, where I had a view that was well thought out and then I got new information and then I had a different view. But if I walk back something that I said to you in the third person in 1985, I told this person X, Y, and Z. And then I come back to you and say, oh, I may not have said that that you shouldn't tolerate. Jed Hoyer is the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. And we did an entire segment on him. And he had these very significant quotes about Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and Chris Bryant, saying that he can put his head on the pillow at night because he knows that he offered them extensions and that they were not accepted, not responded to. And the market will bear the fact that he was very fair. And I was critical of that, saying, I don't know why you're offering them extensions at all. You're rebuilding, and you should, because these guys are good in name only. Well, now the players have started to respond. And what the players are saying is, these extension offers were actually never made. And that's interesting to me, because Jed Hoyer was approached, and he walked back his comments. You cannot... Tell your fan base that you offered an extension when you didn't. Do what we used to do, and what Derek Jeter learned from us: offer your player an extension at a number that you know very well they're not going to accept, and then trade him. It's what the Marlins did with Marte when before they traded him to the A's. That's totally fine. I never told you I offered a good extension. I never said I offered a market extension. I never said I offered an extension that they were actually going to consider or even respond to. What I said was, I officially offered an extension. An official extension comes when you write an agreement that contains contract terms, provisions, amounts, years, and other such clauses. You sign it and you email it to the agent. An extension doesn't come when you're sitting in the lunchroom having a beer with a player and say, hey, we love you around. How does 3.30 sound? That's not an extension offer. When you're on the team plane, playing poker and having drinks that you're smuggling onto the dry plane, and you say, Hey, we want to keep you. You're not going anywhere, right? I don't think we're going to go above 500 for you. That's not an extension offer. An extension offer is in writing. We have every file of every extension offer, of every contract offer we made to any player over my 18 years. The GM has all of those files and then once the GM's fired he keeps the files of course even though you're not supposed to. So Jed Hoyer started walking back his comments saying maybe I shouldn't have said that. Do you mean you shouldn't have said it because it wasn't true? That's a real credibility credibility problem if you're Jed Hoyer. When you are running a baseball team there's one thing you have to know. People are listening. When you have a platform either through title or through microphone You create headlines when you want. People are interpreting everything you say. They're recording everything you say. You're never off the record, ever. When you're on radio, it's live. You better have your mouth behind your brain. And now the players in Chicago who had been traded are forced to respond. Chris Bryant responded very quickly, saying, It's tough because I've always wanted to take the high road. And I've never been about calling out people who have done special things for me in my career. Regardless of the negatives or anything that has surrounded me or the situation there, meaning Chicago, I'll always think back to my time there and feel happy about and have great memories about it. Good for you, Chris. What you're saying is that Jed Hoyer is full of it, but you're not going to say anything bad about him because why close that door? Why burn that bridge? Players who burn bridges for teams are just lowering the number of teams who could be bidding for their services in later years because owners and presidents have long memories. They're not going to bring back players who have sullied them on the way out the door or sullied them while they were in the door. So Chris Bryant's not going to do it, but he wants to make it very clear to you that Chad Hoyer did not offer the type of extension that he's talking about Under any circumstances. Chris Bryant said, we haven't even had an extension conversation since after the 16 World Series. Jed Hoyer has to have known that. He was there working for Theo. There is no chance that Theo that that Theo that Jed got that wrong. What Jed was doing was trying to get you, the Cubs fans, you Jessica, to love him and say there was nothing you could do. You did the best you could. The way I dealt with that is I was honest and saying, we can't afford to sign him. We got to let him go. We have to be more concerned with our team going forward, and we are going to reallocate our resources. We are going to retool. I used many words, all of which were, we're losing money, we want to lose less, or we're losing money, we want to make more. Whatever the case is, we want to pay down debt. Whatever the financial reason is, the owner gives you a number for payroll, and you've got to make that work. And you've got to try to win with the payroll you have. And Chris Bryant is a free agent, is not going to help the Cubs win with the payroll that Ricketts, the owner, is giving Hoyer, the baseball executive. And he could have avoided all of this if he had not lied when he met the media to explain the trades. And we told him what to do, and he didn't do it. It's a complete cluster duck in Chicago. I feel terribly for them, actually, because. They had a chance to do it right, but they didn't. Teams are trying, just so you know. We're dealing with a lot of stuff every day, just like you are in your business, just like you are in your family. We're dealing with off-the-field issues, on-the-field issues. Very few executives I've come across in my career are tanking when it comes to PR or tanking when it comes to winning games. They want to win games, but they're willing to, to lose in order to cut payroll. But every day we're confronted with different issues, just like you are, and we're not going to get it right all the time. We're just not. But you can really help yourself by being very clear in your messaging to the media when you're on radio, when you are tweeting, because then you avoid being called out on nothing personal, although then there wouldn't be a show. Although I'm not worried because there's so much content. But teams are trying to get it right when they're dealing with players, when they're dealing with injuries. When they're misleading you about forearm tightness or Tommy John, they're not being forthcoming about an injury. They're not telling you who's available, who's not. They're not telling you how many people are in the stands. They're not giving you their revenue. They're not giving you their plan. That's all fair in love and war. So I want to give the Padres credit. And you know that I'm on AJ Preller nonstop, nonstop, because I don't respect him as a GM or as a person for what he did to the Marlins and what he's done to other teams. That said, they're doing something now that's attracting some attention. And one of you had a question about it. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. We are spending a lot of time trying to answer questions. We're going to be doing mailbag episodes uh, over the course of the next two weeks, this week and next week maybe even a special Samson sit down, wait to see. But in the meantime, thank you for all the questions. So you want to talk to Samson comes from Half Baked. If you're new to nothing personal, and I got a memo from Coca that there are new people every day. So you want to talk to Samson, go to my Twitter at David P. Samson and ask a question. And I will try to get to it. I'll try to see it. The Padres seem to be considering moving Fernando Tatis Jr. to the outfield would you consider this and why? Background of Fernando Tatis, MVP candidate. He, along with Bryce Harper, are probably the leading candidates for MVP now that DeGrom is hurt in the National League. Tatis has a separated shoulder. I assume it is a bit of a torn labrum, but you're not going to hear that unless we have heard that he requires surgery. His shoulder keeps popping out. We had that with Hanley Ramirez. We've had that with a bunch of players. It doesn't get better. Rest doesn't help. Icing doesn't help. We, we have all these, these machines in the clubhouse that you buy that do things. I don't know what they do because they don't work. When you've got that shoulder issue, the only thing that works is that surgery and then you're out for six months. and Then you hope you can come back and throw. Some players like Marcelo Zuna can't ever throw the way they threw again. Sometimes you can recover and throw okay. Other times you have to move to first base. The future of Tatis at shortstop is definitely in question. Tatis is hurt right now. The Padres, where are they, Coca? I assume they're in third place behind the Giants and Dodgers. I'm going to assume they're, what, six and a half, seven games back. I would assume they're still holding on to the wild card, but the Cincinnati Reds are so hot that they may be coming close to them. Where are we in the, in the in the current standings? They are seven and a half back of the division. Okay, thank you. And then I assume that they are three and a half back of Dodgers. All right, talk to me, I can't hear you. Anyway, so you'll, you'll get me that where they are on the wild card, but they don't have Tatis right now. And they need him in their lineup because they are all in and they only have a two and a half game lead. And a two and a half game lead against a hot team like the Reds That's not a lot. There's about 55, 58 games to play. And they are in danger of missing the playoffs. If the Padres missed the playoffs, A.J. Preller should fear for his job, even though he got an extension, even though he may have pictures of the owners in San Diego or some such things. But the reality is that it would be one of the great disappointments for the Padres to miss the playoffs this season. Having brought in Darvish and Snell last year, trading for Clevenger, who got hurt. Do you remember that trade? Gone. Move on. They got Scherzer this year. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, they didn't. They almost did. So you got to get Tatis in the lineup because from the Padre standpoint, they're so invested in this year that they believe that Tatis in the lineup gives them a better chance, but they're being extremely short-sighted. And let me tell you why. When you are the second wild card, you're going on the road. Let's say they play the Dodgers. Let's say they play the Giants. Let's say that they play the Reds and the Reds and the Padres end up in the first two. Let's say they host the wild card game. It's a single game. You're going to pitch Darvish? Fair enough. Snell? Fine. Whoever you choose, you are subject to losing that one game. Now, it's better to get in the playoffs and lose the wild card game because you can say you've been in the playoffs. But the Padres, their aspirations are way higher than the wild card if Tatis comes back and he plays through September, he then has surgery in October. Let's say they lose the wildcard game. Do the math. October, November, December, January, February, March. Wait a minute. No problem. He'll be ready for opening day. That was our favorite thing that we would tell the media and tell our fans. Off-season surgery, he'll be ready for opening day. No, he won't to be ready for opening day, you have to have an off season of rest. Then you have to start ramping up and you need spring training. When you are only cleared for activity sometime during spring training, but only get into a smidge of spring training games, your bat is not ready to go in April. What's the big deal? He'll be ready for May. No problem. I have a different view. The different view is that I want to get him under the knife as soon as possible because I want to see his rehab because that will inform me about building our team going forward. He's already signed. Let's hope he's insured. If he misses a full year, most insurance policies for players, you have to miss a year of with an injury, and then you start getting money when the player's out more than a year. You really are doing it for catastrophic injury, end of career type stuff. You rarely collect insurance for guys who are out six weeks, six months, eight months. It rarely works. But I want to know where I stand with my team. And the way to know it is to get to T's rehabbing, have that surgery happen. But the Padres, when they're desperate, which as you know, is the worst cologne of all time, even if you have no smell or taste, they're working them out in the outfit because they believe incorrectly. And I'm going to tell you how I know this that playing the outfield is better for your shoulder than playing the infield. The problem is in the infield, you dive for balls. You dive in the hole as shortstop. You land on your shoulder. You steal bases. Somehow, maybe it's on your shoulder. But in the outfield, you're just under the ball, catch it, and then throw it. But what Happens in the outfield is players have instincts and these instincts take over in a game and there's nothing you can do about it. And you watch in horror as your player runs against the wall to catch a ball, as your player dives to make a big catch to save a game. Professional athletes, someone as good as Fernando Tatis, who only knows one speed and that is all out all the time, you are not going to be able to protect him and his shoulder by moving him to the outfield. The Padres are working him out there thinking, hey, we could protect him. It's possible. It's not possible. When you are dealing with your number one asset, you've got to deal with him carefully with kit gloves, and you've got to not be driven by current situations. But that's hard. Running a team is hard because you want to win right now because your fans want it. The media wants it. Your owner wants it. And so you are doing anything you can to get an extra game or an extra moment. Do you remember that White Sox player? Coco was talking to me about this. Jimenez, Eloy Jimenez. Remember how he tore his pectoral muscle, right? He was just making a play. And then he was gone. The White Sox, of course, have gotten through that. They're a much deeper roster, a much better roster than the Padres. You cannot control what you do on the field when you are a gamer. So you want to know what I consider moving Tatis to the outfield? N-A-C. Not a chance. I would never consider it because when my owner wanted it, I would say to him, we are not going to sacrifice our future to try to grab at a wild card game this year. The Padres thought they could be as good as the Dodgers. They can't. They thought they would not have to worry about the Giants. They have to. Let's see what the Padres do. But if I know Preller, if I know Preller, like you know Preller, he'll be in the outfield. When we come back, we're going to review a movie I watched that gave me a great amount of pleasure because Margot Robbie's in it. And, of course, Idris Alba. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you so much for following, rating, reviewing. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. We are growing and we're gonna keep growing. We are taking some time off the end of this week and next week, but there will be mailbag episodes. We're not gonna leave you hanging. There were so many questions you guys asked that we will have a bunch of mailbag episodes for you that are fun. But in the meantime, I still watch a movie every day, no matter what's going on personally or professionally. And I watched Suicide Squad. James Gunn, who did Guardians of the Galaxy, wrote and directed Suicide Squad with Idris Elba, with Margot Robbie, various other cast of characters, of course. Uh, oh God, I can't think of the, of the woman who's in charge. She's bad. I want to say Alfred Wood. Uh, I, am I going to get this wrong, Coca? Come on. Um, oh, it's Viola Davis. I was thinking, you know what I was thinking about Alfred Woodward? because she was in Grand Canyon during this past week, which has been a bad week, uh, to say the least. I watched one of my favorite movies in the middle of the night. I'm not getting much sleep. I wish I were. I'm pretty tired. Grand Canyon is a movie about life. It's a movie about uh, some of the things that can happen when you least expect it, some of the coincidences that happen. It's in my top five of all-time movies. Anyway, Viola Davis plays a character who doesn't care about anything other than getting a mission done. And Suicide Squad is a fun movie. It's available now on HBO max, which is a channel that also has white Lotus and all sorts of other great things. Sorry, Paramount plus does too, but you should go out. So to Showtime, obviously billions coming back September 5th, but if you can watch Suicide Squad, I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoy Harley Quinn, a lot of subtle things about the Joker in that movie, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the insanity of it. I enjoyed the escape. What I can't figure out when I'm recommending Suicide Squad is whether or not my personal situation currently made me enjoy it more or whether I would have enjoyed it even starting off in a good mood, in a good place, in a happy place. So you have to judge for yourself, but I would strongly, strongly suggest that you do it. I want to say a quick hello to uh, Alex Hefner. Alex Hefner is my first cousin once removed, who's a big fan of Nothing Personal. I appreciate that you do it. He's a kid. He's like eight, nine years old, listening every day to Nothing Personal. Alex, it was great, great to see you. Thank you. Wait to seize. Wait to seize when we tell you something's going to happen, and sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but I promise you we will revisit it, and when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I watched the USA beat France. I was rooting for France to lose by exactly the amount they lost by. I wanted the U.S. to win gold because I wanted Durant to get it. Durant carried that team. I wanted Middleton and Holiday to have a title and a gold medal in the same year to join Pippen and only a few others who have ever done that. But I thought 12 and a half points was too much. I had to wait to see that USA men's basketball would not win the gold. Guess what? I got that wrong. That was back on July 6th, 2021. On September 8th, 2020, I told you Messi will not sign with Barcelona. We got that one right. Messi fought through tears and is now moving to Paris. C'est bien pour lui, n'est-ce pas? C'est deux ans, seulement. C'est possible il y a un autre an, mais après ça, Miami? Mm? On ne sait pas. He may be coming into Miami in three years. He'll be right in his prime. That is exactly what Inter Miami needs. Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona. He said, the time we've had here has been amazing, and I have to say goodbye. Bye. He's been there since 2000, like up through the academy. He is Barcelona. What are they going to do at Camp Nou? I guess they're going to retire his number and honor him. But this goes to show you, it is very rare for a player to spend his entire career in one team, even across the pond. It's just difficult. Money's money. When you're paying Messi the type of money that he was making, at some point, you got to stop and the breakup's going to be bad. So my wait to see today is on a different subject. It's, on, it's going back to the NBA. The NBA is a, uh, a league that makes me laugh. I love watching it because I love basketball, but I don't love, like the product. Everyone's just chucking and ducking. Everyone's just shooting threes. Whoever shoots the best percentage from threes wins. Duncan Robinson makes 20 million bucks a year or 18. I mean, you know that you've got an interesting league when that's happening. We've gone through all that. The whole tampering issue in the NBA is spectacular, truly spectacular. Why? Because everyone's tampering and all of a sudden the NBA wants to stop it. They punished the Milwaukee Bucks for tampering with Bogdanovich last year. They ended up not getting him in a sign-and-trade with the Kings, and they were very upset about it, but now they won the title. They're not so upset. The NBA announced that they are investigating the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls for tampering with Kyle Lowry and Lonzo Ball, respectively. It, was, it got a lot of attention over the weekend. Why? What do you, if I'm Adam Silver, what exactly am I investigating? I've been around the game my whole life, he would say. There is no way that Lowry had a deal negotiated with the Heat from 6 o'clock to 6.01, or the teams had a trade ready, or that Lonzo Ball had 85 over 4 from the Bulls at 6.01. It's horse hockey. I like when I get to say that on a given show. It fits almost every show because everyone's so full of horse hockey every day. But so is the NBA here. Don't say you're going to investigate when you know exactly what happened. Come out and tell your public, we are taking a look at the rules of tampering because we recognize that the rules we have put in place are not being followed. We recognize that teams don't feel a need to follow those rules because losing a draft pick or getting fined an amount of money, that is not enough to dissuade them. And the reason why teams are tampering, the NBA should say is they know very well that in order to get a player you want, you've got to act quickly and you can't act. When we tell you to act, you have to start earlier. Do you know in 2012, we started talking to Jose Reyes during the season? Forget, like after the season, we made it very clear to Jose Reyes that we wanted to sign him and we were with him at midnight when we were allowed to start talking to free agents. We met him at a bar and started talking and we were done. Everybody's doing it. So I got to wait to see about Kyle Lowry and the NBA investigation. It's not going to happen. There will be no punishment given to the Miami Heat. I'm going to just leave it at that. No punishment to the Heat over the Lowry. They're not going to reverse the trade. They're not going to take Lowry away from the Heat. None of that is going to happen. What is going to happen, not part of the wait to see, but just something I want to tell you is going to happen. The NBA and their rules committee is going to take a very hard look at their deadlines at tampering and figure out how to change the rules to accommodate reality. Sometimes you make a rule and you don't know what the result will be. And then you watch it, you study it, and then you adjust it. The NBA now has to be in that period of adjustment. Nothing personal pick of the day. We told you to take Lance Lynn and the White Sox over the Cubs. You did, and you won. We told you to take France plus 12 and a half. You did, and you won. We told you to take Berrios over the Red Sox. You did, and you lost 2-1. to one. Berrios pitched a great game. But then Sunday, we told you to take Wheeler and the Phillies over the reeling Mets. To all of you Mets fans out there, all I can say is I'm sorry. The Mets will be under five hundred in a jiffy here. They have no offense. Without DeGrom, their pitching is simply not good enough. Their hitting is not good enough. Lindor is hurt. Baez is not the savior that you'd want him to be. The Phillies are playing great. Zach Wheeler is now the front runner for Cy Young now that DeGrom is hurt. And Zach Wheeler was pitching against his former team who didn't want him. And you were wondering why to take Philly on Sunday? That was a give me. We are 105-89, and 89, back to 16 games over. I have a message for Coca because he's a Met fan. I know Scott at CBS is a huge Mets fan. Are you mentally prepared for what you knew was going to happen? You thought for a chance it may not happen because they were in first place for all that long. And now that it is happening, you're saying to yourself, I knew it would happen. I was right the whole time. That mentality that you have, that's a losing mentality. That's the problem with the Mets. They've got a losing mentality. They have a new owner who's desperate They have a new owner who loves going on Twitter and talking about how great the team is and how ready they are to win. You've got Pete Alonzo going public saying, we've got this. I don't want anyone to worry. Here's what you have, Pete. You have a below 500 team that's not going to make the playoffs. Other than that, what do you have? The Reds are catching the Padres. We talked about that earlier in the show. Former Marlins pitcher Luis Castillo, who we traded like seven times before we could finally have a real trade. I'm kidding. He was the guy who we traded to the Padres and then we got him back when we reversed the Padres trade because A.J. Preller lied to us about the medical of a pitcher named Colin Ray, who I think is now back pitching, Coca. Is Colin Ray pitching again in the big leagues? I believe he had the surgery he was going to have and he's all the way back now. Anyway, Castillo was then traded for the Reds to the Reds for Dan Straley, who was great for us. He's now having a resurgence in Korea. And the Reds are playing the Cleveland Indians. I don't know why I just said that. Are they the official? Are they the Guardians now? I don't think they start that till next season. So the Reds over the Indians is my pick of the day for Monday, today. We're 105 and 89. So the final subject I want to cover is a very quick recap of something that happened yesterday. We did an entire segment on the Miami Dolphins and a pitcher they had named Zavian Howard. And he wrote that long letter, if you recall, maybe last week or a month ago, saying that he wanted a new contract. He's a cornerback. I called him a pitcher. Sorry, Coca. He's a defensive back, the best cornerback on the Dolphins. He's got the most this, the most that. And he signed a big time extension and he wanted more money. So he demanded a contract and he said, I love my teammates. I love my fans, but I want a new contract. Well, yesterday the Dolphins gave in. The Dolphins ripped up his deal. They guaranteed more money to him and all the fans in Miami are loving it. Totally excited. Good for you, Miami. Good for you, Steve Ross. And I ask why. And you tell me, you have to do it. He's your best defensive player. You have to do it. He's your best defensive back. You have to do it. He's the glue of a team that's going to make the playoffs. You have to do it. No, you don't. The difference between people who run a team and people who watch a team is that we don't have to do anything. The difference between people who run a team and people who watch a team is that we cannot let emotion get in our way because we are setting a precedent that is going to cost us dearly in the future. As fans you say there's no precedent. It's the best defensive player. Just say that you're only going to rep up the contract of the best defensive player. Guess what? He's the best defensive player right now. Tomorrow there'll be another one. The day after there'll be a, the best offensive tackle. The best wide receiver. The best defensive lineman. That's my job is to do it and watch as precedent is set and be able to think ahead and not make mistakes. What the Dolphins did was out of emotion. What the Dolphins did was out of desperation for not having won a playoff game since whenever, maybe 2000. What the Dolphins did will set them up to continue to fail. Because if you think that players are not paying attention, you are sorely mistaken. We've got a live one, that's what they say. We've got an owner who's going to give in. All we have to do is demand a trade. And then, of course, fans out there are saying, you're being so anti-player. I am being pro-business, not anti-player. I would like you and your job, if you don't mind, tomorrow. I want you to go into your boss and say, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I want to raise right now. How's that going to go? I got a better one. Sign a contract. If you have an employment contract and you're an executive, walk up to your boss and say, man, I have outperformed. Rip up that contract. Pay me more. Why is it different for players? Because you love them? Because you're emotionally attached to them? Sports is the same for the people who run it as your business is to you. Granted, no one's watching you do your job. No one's criticizing you doing your job. may not be a public job but we've got to run the team in the same exact way. And the Dolphins, let it get away. It's going to come back to bite him. First of all, the karma is really bad. Second of all, players are going to be asking the Dolphins and Steve Ross to rip up contracts left, right, and center. And third of all, he's going to have to say, no, we just did it for Howard. And then he's going to have a problem. He's going to have to do it for the next guy. You watch. I've told you this 437 times. 427 times. Cut that coca. Ready? Wipe it. 80, 69. I've told you 427 times and I'm going to say it again. When you are running a team, no matter what situation comes your way, it's just business. It's nothing personal.